Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero. Thanks for listening to The Tour Coach. These are the players, coaches, experts, stories, and insights from my work on the PGA Tour at my retreats or my downtown teaching center in Mobile, Alabama. My goal is to shed light and share insights from the people who I've gotten to know and meet working on the PGA Tour and teach it through my career. And I hope this helps all of us play, coach, and teach better golf. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and take a look at our new Dew Sweepers YouTube channel or the Dew Sweeper on Instagram, where I've taken some time to share videos of help from my teachings, travels, and journeys. All right, sitting with me here on the tour coach for the first time, a good friend of mine, great teacher, golf magazine, top 100 teacher, and I'm going to tell you, he's got one of the prettiest places to teach a golf lesson I've ever seen from down at Jupiter Hills, Jason Bale. What's up, Jason? Hey, Tony. How are you, man? Nice to be on with you. Absolutely. I thought it'd be good to have you on. You know, a couple things that impressed me I want to talk about is, one, your team approach that you use down there. I got to see some of that firsthand, but also just you're having some success, you know, with some tour players, most notably, obviously, Darren Clark. I know you got started with Peter Uline now. So I thought it'd be good to kind of touch on your journey to where you are and then some of the things that you think are important as you help these tour players, and we can talk a little bit about that. I think we can help other players and other teachers by sharing our experiences. Sounds good. Love it. How did you get to where you are now? I mean, I think that's one question I get from a lot of teachers and, and even players. They're like, well, how the hell did you end up doing what you're doing? Or how the hell did you end up, you know, at X? You know, when I was at Frederica, people go, how did you end up there? How about you? What's your journey? How did you get to where you are now? Well, I started out, uh, my father was a uh, high school football and basketball coach for 40 years. Uh, my mom owns a dance studio with about a 1,000 students, and so she's taught dance forever. My sister is the director of dance for my mom, and two of my younger brothers are tennis pros. So I always tell the story that the Bale family doesn't know how to have real jobs. You know, <laughs> we were never... We were never built to be in a cubicle or, uh, or uh, there's no uh, bail lawyers or doctors. We just all seem to be in the teaching and coaching world. And uh, so I started out as a kid from the time I was about eight years old uh, wanting to coach college basketball. Never in a million years did I think I wanted to do anything else. I found golf uh, real late in high school due to a, an injury that I had playing basketball that kept me out one season. And, uh, and I, I still wanted to get out of school early, so I went out for the golf team. <laughs> And uh, uh, in February, I uh, could barely break 100, and uh, that summer I broke 80 for the first time, so I was kind of hooked on the game. And then as time progressed, you know, I grew up watching uh, Davis Love, who was my favorite player growing up, and um, and so as I kind of watched Davis and, and, and got to know him, I, I figured out, like, so Davis has a teacher, and his teacher was Jack Lumpkin at the time after his father passed away. And I said, well, where's this Jack Lumpkin guy? And he was at Sea Island. I said, where's Sea Island? Sea Island's in Georgia. And I just kind of, like, I said, I can't believe you can make a living teaching golf. Now, there's been a couple of times in my career where I didn't think I could make a living teaching golf. but I'm with you. <laughs> so so I, uh, I never, you know, you know, set out to coach tour players. I felt like if, if I was – if that was my main goal – that I was putting, you know, my goal ahead of the needs of, of the players I had in front of me. So I said to myself that if I just, you know, keep working and try to learn and become the best coach I can be, the better players will, will find me. And uh, that's kind of how that part's worked. I was fortunate enough um, to, to serve on the staff at Sea Island 
with uh, Mr. Lumpkin and, and Todd Anderson and Gail Peterson and Mike Shannon. I never, I'll never forget my first golf lesson at Sea Island. I, I look over and Todd's next to me and Gail's behind me and Jack's down the line there and Mike's on the putting green. And I said to myself, like, I'm taking batting practice with the Yankees right here. I said, this is, yeah. this is unbelievable. You know, to share that piece of grass that so many great teachers, Scott Davenport, Davis Love Jr., you know, so many great coaches that have that have shared that patch of grass, and I just felt really fortunate to be there. And during my time there, I, I kind of – I'd been teaching for quite some time by the time I got to the island, but I, I kind of found myself, like, in a, in a graduate course of teaching and coaching, and that solidified kind of, you know, what I wanted to do and where – you know, what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. And – and uh got really fortunate here at Jupiter Hills when I was called about to see if I was interested in the job. I, I had a good job at Belfair in South Carolina, and I uh, was happy there. My family was happy, but um uh, I said, well, I don't need this job, but I kind of want this job. So I basically just walked into the interview and, and sold them my perfect job. And part of my perfect job was building uh, the best team in the country, and, and we've been fortunate to start building that with Lance Gill, Brad Faxon. We have Judy Dickens, a LPJ Hall of Famer on our staff and, and, uh, Tyler Mraz and, and, and an expert club builder and Neil Mark. So, so we've started building that team in order to give our membership here at Jupiter Hills the same type of experience that a tour player would get. Yeah. I, I think what you're building there is fantastic. I've, as you know, we've talked many times off the record. Like I've, I had similar visions in places I've been and it's hard to find a place to be able to put all that together. It really is. And credit to you. I want to circle back, though, to what you talked about where you said, I never got into teaching to teach tour players. And I think that's the golden sentence of everything you said. I was the same way. And I think we were both so fortunate. Like you said, you learned to teach on hallowed ground there with, with all those great teachers. I was fortunate to be, you know, when I started teaching, I started with Hank Johnson, who's a PGA teacher of the year. He passed away last year. Wayne Flint. Mark Wood, those guys, and and they were hard on me. Absolutely, you know, like I mean, I can, I mean, I can tell stories when I'm sitting around drinking that, like everybody <laughs> laughs. I mean, like the things that they would do, right? But it made me better. And I think one thing that I think that we've gotten off course in our business is people want to skip that those years of where it's hard on you, and they want to go straight to teaching tour players, and they get a cell phone, they get a launch monitor, and they get an Instagram account. And they can help tour players. Absolutely. And I think that that's, I think that's a problem. And I think that, but I think that the more we tell the stories about how you got to where you are and the success that you're having, the better off golf is going to be and the better off our industry is going to be. Because I mean, maybe I'm just old school, but like, I still think the best way to learn is being surrounded by great people that force you and make you better. Yeah, I, I'll never forget Todd Anderson telling me one day I went to his office after being there for a little while and, and uh, I said, Todd, okay, that's like, I need, I need to run down what do I need to do better, you know, this and that. And he said, oh, he looked at me and said, you just need to do it more. And, yeah. and he said, I've seen you teach, you know what you're talking about. He said, you just need to do it more. And I took that to heart from the standpoint of, you know, to your point, there's some hard work that goes into this. And um, I think as your growth as a coach goes, you kind of start off knowing very little you know a couple of things that you've learned along the way that have worked and you apply those tools to everybody and then when you run into a player where that little bag of tricks that you have doesn't work then you're then you're going to grow in that moment and uh and then you kind of especially in today's age with all the information that's out there and all the different things on Instagram or YouTube or launch monitors or 3D or whatever you get into then you get this this exorbitant amount of information 
and you've got too many things going on and you can't apply those either. But I think that's part of the maturation process is know very little. All right. Get your ass kicked when you know very little, you know, learn a ton. Okay. And then get your ass kicked when you know a ton because you can't, you can't disseminate the information properly. And then as you grow and mature, you take all that information, you whittle it down to a very simple methodology, so to speak, or a very simple way of looking at golf swings or looking at short game motions or putting strokes or whatever have you. You weave some skill into that and then you break it down into very simple concepts, which I think we've done a pretty good job here at Jupiter Hills of doing. And that's what binds our team together is that we can use the same language. We have the same thought process as far as what we're looking for, where that problems actually are. And then we're able to talk about those problems, whether you come to me or whether you're with Lance or Tyler or Judy, all of us can solve those problems. We feel like in a very simple way and we can hand each other students off and and make sure that that student doesn't get differing information and stays on the same track. And I want to talk about that because I thought, uh, you know, as much I had, I had a bunch of my tour guys in and we all kind of talked together, which I love doing. And then the next couple of days I did it with Kevin Kirk down at Doral. And it was, to me, it's fascinating. But so one of the things that I thought was interesting that I noticed was everybody there uses the same terminologies and on the same page. And, and with my team, obviously, we're structured a little different. We're not all in the same place. But, you know, I've got, I use Colby, as we've talked about a lot. And uh, Jack Court helps me a good bit with tour players and Dr. Carton and so forth. But, you know, we I noticed that it was very there were a lot of parallels and that, like, if Colby and I or Dr. Scott Lynn and I are working, we all kind of go and we stay in our lanes and we use the same terminology and we really are all going in the same direction of whoever the lead coach is on that particular situation. I noticed that it was very much the same in your situation as everybody worked together and really was, you know, nobody jumped off page or off of what was, you know, whoever was in charge was talking about. I think that's important when you're setting up a team atmosphere that it's great to have different voices, but you can't have rogue things going on where somebody just jumps in and goes in a different direction. No doubt. I mean, that we've worked really hard here at Jupiter Hills on creating that language, that way to communicate with one another. Lance and I'll use hand signals a lot. Uh, you know, he'll be standing behind looking at something and he'll signal to me where what he sees. I rely on Lance a lot uh, from the standpoint we use the TPI analogy a lot. So Lance Gill is the, is the, is the crew chief and the, the player is the race car. And then the coach, me in that situation is the driver of the race car. So we're just trying to make the race car run better. And uh, obviously we need a crew chief to help us do that, which Lance does, looks at all the under the hood things. He's a master at looking at 3D. And so some of the things he'll do is just guide me what I see on video, we try to make sure that we, we measure that in some type of way where we get some good information from 3D, and it really sets out a plan. So when we look at, you know, kind of the, the, the mantra here at Jupiter Hills is we want you to do the ordinary things extraordinarily well. And what we put under that heading is all our pre-swing types of things. So does your grip and your club face match up together? Are your tilts and bends good? Are your alignments good? Do you have a real good intent for the shot shape you're trying to hit? We want all those things done early on, and, and we, we always use the saying that nobody gets worse from setting up better. And so we make sure that the ordinary things are done extraordinarily well first, and then our second heading is we want the golf club to swing on plane, and our third heading is we want the body to rotate and posture, and then our fourth heading is that we always need to make sure that we're coaching to score. You know, we can we can get so bogged down in the technique of a golf swing sometimes that we're not actually developing the skill in which the player needs to score. 
And so we always want to put that and make sure we that's our check and balance against the technique is to make sure that we're really coaching this player to play the game and score better. You're going to piss a lot of people off using that word playing now. There you go. <laughs> Stirring up controversy with all the dipshits. Yeah, we, yeah, we, can, we, can, we can have a, a whole two-hour conversation on what people think the plane is. But, uh, uh, you know, there's differing planes, and I know which one's good and which one's bad. We'll just put it that way. I know this. <laughs> I know if you're worth the things that comes down on one. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, anyway, I sneaky pay attention. So, I was, uh, you know, I – I've been paying attention to the work you've been doing with Darren Clark. And uh, I've just always liked Darren, just as a player. Like, I, I think I always like, one, he drinks wine and, yeah. you know, his attitude. And, and also, I would say, and knowing him from afar, like, I'd seen him once or twice way back at Old Palm. I know he used to hang out there some, I think, and different things. But um, he seems like a genuinely good person, right, That's which, is, which yeah. is also rare. But I also knew he bounced around a little bit here a period of time, probably searching for some answers, which players I think at that age are even more inclined to as they get towards the twilight of their career, seeing if they can find one more nugget that's going to give them another blast, right? Right. And so I was really happy to see the stuff with you where he seems to be maintaining working on stuff and and not bouncing. And and I'm curious, one, what are you all doing? And two, how did you get a great player – that has been searching a little to, to settle in and to commit to something. Cause that's way harder to do than, than most people think. And you and I, we've bounced stuff off each other talking about helping each other with tour players and advice like that is really hard to do. It is. And uh, you know, you're, you're spot on with Darren as a guy and a person and a, and a guy that really wants to work hard. I'll never forget the, the first time we met with Darren, I didn't even know it was a, a, a golf lesson. We were just kind of hanging out and he said, what do you think? And, we started talking a little bit about it, and they said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" And I said, "I got, I got a, I got, I started at eight o'clock." He said, "Well, I, can I come at seven? And he was, he was warmed up at seven as the sun was coming up, ready to go to work again. And I was like, "Okay, I guess we're, I guess we're doing this." And uh, I think the best compliment, which uh, you know, uh, us, if we try to be good coaches, we're pretty hard on ourselves about things. But I did get a, a very nice statement from Darren uh, not too long ago where he just said, look, I've been playing this game for a very long time, and um, you've explained to me why I do what I do better than anyone has ever explained it to me. Now, he's had some great coaches, so I'm sure they've sure. explained it to him as well. But at, at this point in his career, maybe he was, he was hungry enough to listen to what I had to say. So I think him owning his motion is kind of what we're after more than anything. I mean, we still stay within the headings that we just mentioned, but him understanding his golf swing, how he moves, and how he wants to hit the golf ball. So Darren, as far as as I've seen him in person over the time we've worked together, is really kind of a natural drawer of the golf ball. He right. doesn't really want to hit that shot, which there's kind of the roadblock sometimes and that we have to kind of work through. And we're doing that together, you know, piece by piece. And he can get a little too track man conscious sometimes. We were standing on the range at SAS this year, and and uh, he was complaining about his club path. And I said, well, you just hit me. Start hitting seven irons, okay? And, and when you hit one that you like the way it looks, tell me. And so he hits a couple balls, and he goes, okay, that was an eight. All right, that was an eight. All right, that was a nine. That was a nine right there. No, there's a ten. There's a ten. He yeah. goes, uh, and I look down in this path, and it's two degrees to the right. So it's like, you know, he, do you want to play with the orange box, which we all, you know, enjoy looking at and that type of thing? It's a good measuring tool, so to speak. But the golfer's got to play and the golfer's got to hit the window that he wants to hit. So as a coach, if you're really, you know, keeping in mind the player's best interest, 
then you've got to let him see that ball flight. You've got to help him attain that ball flight because that's what he needs to go play with. And so we work really hard at that together. He's been a very active participant in his own improvement, and, uh, and he works hard. You know, contrary to probably what a lot of people think about Darren, given his personality, Darren works hard, and he really wants to play. We've got some pretty lofty goals this year. So, you know, he can get the golf club a little across the line, get the face a little open, pull it down a little steep when he wants to cut it then his body will stall out. So we just try to match those pieces where he can rotate in posture and own the club face through impact. So you mentioned, you know, helping him understand what he does. I think that, like, developing a player, if we had a really – if you and I were teaching and we had a really good college player or junior player or mid-AM come to us versus teaching a tour player, there are different types of teaching, right? I think that when you get a tour player, they're already great, right? Or they wouldn't be – they wouldn't have a tour card. Right. And and so I think our job with tour players is way less to change stuff, but to help them understand what they do and why they're good. And then to watch the ball and help them figure out what causes the shot they don't like that keeps them from being better. But yet then when we get the opportunity, we get these canvases that come to us like a really good junior or college. Well, then we can kind of put some things in that we that we like. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, um, and I, I think, I think there's totally different. But I think that coaching. The blank canvas, I think, is is like to me the most rewarding, and also where I think we get to prove how good we are. The best, no doubt. Easiest. No doubt, that's the development side of it, obviously. And I think, you know, it, I think when you've got a really good player, especially a player that's had success, like the, the players we're talking about, the players you coach, it's getting them to understand their tendencies and embrace them. You know, instead mm-hmm. of thinking of them as such a bad thing, it's like embrace your tendency, and if you embrace your tendency then you actually have an opportunity to override that pattern. But if you if you don't know what the tendency is and you don't have a plan in which to override that when it's there, then that's when you're going to struggle and that's when you're going to start searching. But if you get them to understand, like, this is your tendency, this is how you've played golf for a really long time, can you understand what's going to happen and understand the fix immediately to counteract that tendency? And And I think that's adding to their toolbox. And I also think helping them understand that under pressure, when things get tighter, it gets nut cutting times. Those tendencies come out stronger. A hundred percent, absolutely. Right? And you and you better have a way to to play through that situation because your brain's going to go back to what it knows best at that point, and and you've got to have something very simple in alignment or something very simple in a thought that you can actually play the last four holes with under the gun. Agree, agree. Let's talk about when you get the junior or the college player. I know you've got. You're developing, you know, a bunch of talent down there. I love that. I mean, that's my real and, – and um, I mean, I think you could tell that from the time we spent together. I mean, obviously, we had a couple guys that have had a tour card, but they're on the younger side and guys that are up and coming with little bits of status on developmental tours. Like, I, I feel like that's where you can really help somebody, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love that. And one of my commitments in 22 is to get back at doing more of that because I think – and, and my advice to you, not that you've ever asked me for advice, but like I think sometimes when we get those veterans is it takes time away from some of the stuff that we're really good at that gives us fulfillment, and it's a juggling act. It's hard. You know, no, it's no, hard no, enough, no. right? But talk a little bit about how you enjoy and how what you think the keys for developing that talent are because you're getting a bunch of it, and you should because you've got a great place and you're a great teacher. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the development side of, of taking a young, hungry player, I, I, I used to specialize kind of in the high school player that decided kind of late that golf was his deal and he wanted to play in college. And, and that was kind of my, 
that was kind of my wheelhouse there for a little while. And I really enjoyed that part of it because the goal was, can I play in college? And depending on what level it was, I, I had a kid named Sean Anderson, who's a great kid, left-handed kid, and uh, came to me real late and in his high school process. And when I first saw him, I, I, I didn't know if he could play number three on his high school team, let alone, uh, you know, play college golf. And the kid absolutely did everything I asked him to do, from what I asked him to do away from the game with his body to what I asked him to do technique-wise to what I asked him to do from a practicing standpoint, from a mindset standpoint. And the kid just keeps getting better. And and later on we go, okay, he's going to play college golf. He really wanted to be a college athlete. His brothers were college baseball players, and golf was his thing. And, um, you know, now we're in a situation where we're going, hey, he's going to play college golf. We don't know where it's going to be and what level it's going to be. And then later on, lo and behold, he gets an offer from Tennessee Tech, and now he's going to play Division One college golf. And it's like, wow. And you look back at the kid, and you just give so much credit to the kid you know, I helped lay out a plan, but the kid really followed the plan. And so then he got to realize his dream. And and I think in that developmental stage, that's when the real coaching comes out. Mm-hmm. Because of course, you're working on the technique stuff and you're working on these types of things. But you're also coaching a mindset. You're coaching a way to practice. You're coaching a way to play. And then as they get older, I, I'll never forget Patton Kazire. I was around Patton a lot when uh, he just got out of uh, college at Auburn yep. and was learning to play. And, 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 you know, when you're a college player, you know, you, you've been on the van. Your coach tells you what time you're going to tee off. You're teeing off with your whole team. You eat at the same time. You know, I mean, everything's kind of scripted for you. And then all of a sudden you're, you're let out on the mini tours. You're trying to work out. You're trying to eat right. And you're staying at a Holiday Inn and you're, or a Motel 6, and, and you, you may not get to play your practice round when you want to, and the greens are different every day. And, and so you, that's a mindset thing, and that's a, that's a totally different world coming out of a college program into a mini-tour world. And then a lot of guys have sponsors, and they're worried about money. And so you, you're, you're a life coach with a lot of those developmental right. players as much as you are a swing coach. And I, I think that's, that's the fun part, those relationships that you and I like to build. And I think that all great coaches want to build. I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge, huge thing for, for players and being able to, to have a toolkit yourself as a coach that allows you to coach players through all of those things. You know, and I think that's, I think that relationship is often overlooked in all teaching. You know, I, I, I do a lot of these, like I, I've changed a lot of my teaching to where obviously I still do the one hour lessons. It's part of like what we've grown up. You kind of got to do it to make a living. Right. Yeah. But I like to get groups of four, five, six, eight people together for a weekend where we all work and address all the things and we play golf and we go have dinner together. We have drinks. Everybody's like, why do you do that? I like, that's part of how you get to know a person and what makes them tick. Right. No, I, I admire that. I admire that a lot about what you do with that. I think that's huge. Uh, you know, we're developing relationships. If you're going to be a good coach, you got to be a good, you got to be, have good relationships with your players. You know, and I, and I got a guy who was a member at Sea Island and, or not Sea Island, a member at Fred and, you know, he's come to see me away. And like I, one time I just made him do the retreat. He always wanted the private lesson. And I was like, you just need to go and be part of the group. And well, for some of these guys, successful guys, like, you know, I, I think that's a little different, right? You know, Absolutely. they're used to, right? And I'm like, now you just need to be part of the group with the tour guys, the juniors, the college players. But, man, he bonded with them, went out, we had dinner, and he, and he sent me a nice note. Like, man, this team deal you do and that group thing is like, it's like nothing I've never done. But I think it's part of how you get to know them. And I think sometimes you learn a lot about how to help a guy watching them in public at a dinner with other people they don't know. 
Absolutely. And not, not to mention what each player gains from the others, you know, right. just watching another player, how they do their work or how they shape a shot or, or, you know, a shot around the green, something that they can pick off from each other. I mean, you know, when we're, when we're on a tour range, that's happening all the time. Somebody's always listening to somebody else. Yep. They can, they can do that too much sometimes, but at the same time, there's so many great things, little nuggets can be picked up on certain shots that uh, that's just part of the maturation process of a player. And obviously as a coach as well. I had a young player a couple of times ago down at Doral, down at Rick's, Rick's place. And this kid was struggling with holding, with, with handle dragging and holding on to it too long, right? Because he's scared of going left. And Rick Lamb, who you've met and know, jumps in and starts showing this kid how to throw a club to release it. (laughs) I love it. Right? Now, it didn't help that he held on to one and he broke the shaft against the railing of a door. (laughs) But, But anyways... Like two minutes, five minutes before the Secret Service and President Trump walked in, so thank God it happened earlier. We'd all got shot. But, um, but like I love that. I, you know, and Rick always makes a joke that says I get more done having other people do my work, not doing anything with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard that comment. Actually, no, that's that's in my memory banks because I, I want to be known for that. I'm way not known for that. I want to be known for that. <laughs> but and we joke about it, but like. He said, I think, like, it's, if we get everybody together, it's all of our jobs to help people get better and, and help push, which I think circles back to where I started with being part of a team when you're coming up young. I mean, I, you know, I, heck, I, I'm, at the time, I thought Wayne and Woody and Hank were so brutal on me, and I would never survive it. But it's funny how we get older. We tell more and more stories of that, and we're appreciative that people were hard on us. No, exactly. And, uh, and, and it's fun after the fact, I'm sure. I'm sure Wayne feels this way about you, and it's, and and I, I I know Mr. Lumpkin does about me and Todd and and people that have mentored me along the way, and and I'm sure sometimes they look up and they go, how the hell did that dude get there? You know, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's like you know I thought he was all right, but you know, I, so I, I kind of I think a little bit about that from the standpoint of of you know becoming a golf magazine top 100 or any of these types of things that as a kid. Growing up in the business, I thought were so unattainable. But if you're around the right people and you really work hard, you try to do things the right way, put your players first, continue to grow and learn, keep your ego really low, um, that, uh, and know you don't have all the answers all the time. And sometimes you're going to have to ask a teammate or you're going to have to ask a, a Tony or a, or a Todd or a, or a Jack or a Cameron McCormick or a James Seekman, any of these guys that, that have meant a lot to me for help and not be afraid to do that. Then you can you can you can go some places you never thought you could. I know a kid from Eastern North Carolina, me that, that that you know drinks Natty Light and stuff like that. How the hell did I get in the magazine? Still kind of pinch myself on that sometimes. But then I am proud of some of the time that I've spent watching and learning, and I, I do know that uh, that I've earned the the right to do what I do. But I still have to work hard to maintain it. And you you absolutely deserve it. And I and I think that one of the keys, and one, I think if you look at some of the best teachers. They're the people that early on you wouldn't have figured would be doing it, right? And right. I think it's the, whatever that it is inside them that's different. They dance to their own drum. They do. They maybe don't come from they where they're plastic pro. They're starched and everything. Although you do clean up pretty good down there. I, 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 I got a lot of weaknesses to cover up, so I try to dress well. But but the and then, and then to end this, you mentioned how proud you were. You know, you never started out to be a top one hundred teacher. And I think that's along with, like, not starting out to teach tour players. I see so many people on Instagram where they're, man, they're putting out these pictures and they're putting out, you know, they're putting out all this stuff, like, they've got all this great info or that it's revolutionary when they haven't taught anybody yet, right? Right. 
Like, and I think I, I when I heard the one of the best things I whole thing like were Todd. Ta said you got to do it more. Like, yeah. I think people should be less focused on becoming a top hundred teacher and trying to prove they are, and just go out there and teach and try to get people better. And if you do that, don't you think Jason, the accolades, the top hundreds, and all that stuff come? Absolutely. I mean, if you're not making people better, then you're not going to get to where you where you think you want to be. And I think if you put the student, whoever it is in front of you, whether it's the 25 handicap um, student or the tour player, if you put their best interest at heart every time you're with them and um, and you make them better and you make them enjoy the game more, then the good stuff will come. If you put the good stuff first before you put your student's best interest at heart or your self-growth or mentoring others things like that first, then it's going to be a long road and it's going to be a greasy one too. And, and I, I don't, I don't like the greasy road. I'd, I'd like it to be, I'd like it to be a little hard. You know, I'd like it to be uh, some, some long hours every now and then and some grinding on the reins and some staying late or coming in early because when you do get to a certain point, like we're so fortunate to be at, you can appreciate it a lot more. And I think you're a better coach to others when that happens. Yeah. And, and no matter how far along we get, we still have those times we go in at and teach a 6.30 or 7 a.m. lesson to fit around somebody's schedule or stay till 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock to fit somebody in. And it's just part of making people better if you care about what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jason, this has been awesome. And thank you for a couple of things. One, your time for doing this. And two, sharing the stories. And three, you know, for taking us homeless golf people in last week. <laughs> and uh, But also for your friendship and, and, and just, you know, looking out for us and, and for people. And, man, you're a good dude. And, and good dudes make it in this business, especially the ones that really care about people and are good at making people better. And, and you're one of the best. And I appreciate everything you're doing. Well, thank you very much. It was a joy to have you guys here, and we'll be pulling for your players. And, and one thing I have noticed, which I, I'm sure you kind of notice as well, is the as the atmosphere gets a little thinner when you when you start, you know, climbing your professional ladder or whatever. You know, you find that the people that are up there with you are are really the good people, and and the people that did it the right way, and the people who care about others. So you're certainly in my book from that standpoint, and uh, I've enjoyed our friendship and our interaction, and look forward to more. All right, we'll have a natty light soon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Tour Coach. I want to take a minute and thank Cordy Walker and Golf Science Lab, as well as my sponsors, Shrikshan, Buick, Bushnell, and Vineyard Vines, for helping make all of this possible and helping me share my insights with you. If you like what you've heard, why don't you check out more on the Dew Sweepers channel on YouTube, as well as the Dew Sweeper on Instagram, or go to DewSweepersGolf.com to find out more about my teaching, my travels, and where you can find out more about me.